Ron and Anian. There's no such thing as a new customer. There's just a car buyer from another brand or dealership that just wasn't happy. We can go to town, but baby, if you'd rather, I'll take you for a ride on my big green tractor. The Car Doctor. Uh, I got this 52 uh, 900 series. Ford. A 1952 tractor? Really? As long as we don't have to talk about 6 and 12 volt systems, David, I'm game. What do you got? Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, welcome, Ronnie Nanny, the car doctor. Come on in, sit down. 855-560-9900. You know the drill. Give us a call. We'll solve your problem. That 855-560-9900 number is 24-7. The car doctor is on duty on call all the time, in a sense, because you can call 855-560-9900. Leave a message. And a producer will call you back and put you in the lineup for the next live broadcast. We are on the air Saturdays, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. And um, we are out on the network. And uh, some, some of it's delayed podcast and broadcast and delayed affiliate syndication and all that kind of good radio stuff. And um, you can call 855-560-9900. Leave a message. And uh, we will call you back and put you up here on the air. Or you could also call in live during those times, 2 to 4 p.m. Saturday, Eastern Time, 855-560-9900 and be on the air with us whether or not you can hear us in your particular market or your particular location. I want to talk real quick before I go to the busy phones. I just, you know, I picked up on something, and I like to mention this. came to us from Toyota. On February 2nd, 2016, Toyota followed a defect information report with the National Highway Safety Traffic Administration informing the agency of their intent to conduct a voluntary safety recall on the following vehicles. Dig this. You ready? Certain 2003 through 2006 Land Cruiser, 2004 through 2006 Forerunner, 2005 through 2006 Sequoia and Tundra. The subject vehicles are equipped with side curtain shield airbags, CSAs, which deploy from the roof rails in the event of certain types of crashes. Due to improper programming in the airbag control module, there's a possibility that under certain specific and limited conditions shortly after vehicle startup, the CSAs and seatbelt pretensioners could activate when not necessary, unexpected activation could increase the risk of injury to the occupant. Any authorized Toyota dealer will replace the airbag control module at no charge to the customer. Now, that sounds kind of serious, right? Like, that's like airbag safety stuff, okay? There are approximately, this is what got me, covered vehicles. There are approximately 197,900 vehicles covered by this safety recall. How come anywhere from... 14 to 10 years later, depending upon model year, we're finally recalling cars with defective airbag modules, and now there's less than 200,000 of them on the road. How come we didn't do it five years ago when the numbers were doubled or tripled? How many of these cars are left? 200,000. You don't think they've manipulated this from the marketing perspective? You don't think they've manipulated this? That they said, okay, let's bring them in because now we're not going to have to pay the tariff on all these cars? How could it be 12 to 14 years and they finally figured out there's a problem? I don't understand that. And then somebody's going to have the audacity to tell me I pick on engineers? You guys are this bad that it took you 14 years to figure it out? I don't understand. 
Somebody's got to explain that to me. Uh, that's my rant for this opening. I just uh, 200,000 cars. Tell me it's 2 million cars and it's on model years that are 4 or 5 years old. Then I'll take you seriously. 12, 14, you're recalling cars 12, 14 years old. And how many people had accidents? How many people have paid for airbag modules that didn't have to pay for them? See, that's the stuff that infuriates me. That just puts me over the top, and that's just like, come on. Get your head out of your butt, and let's go design a car. Let's get over and answer the phone calls. Let's go over and talk to Justin and Glendive. I think that's Montana, and uh, see what's going on here. Justin, welcome to the car doctor. I promise I'll be calm. How can I help you, sir? Hi. Um, well, I've been listening to you on the air for many years here out here in Montana. We found a your radio channel and uh we uh seem to enjoy it thoroughly every week um thank you i've got a 1999 uh chevy silverado it's got 199,000 miles on it and it seems to have developed a noise sporadically going down the highway you don't get any vibration in the steering column doesn't seem like there's any vibration felt in the seat uh, and it's almost i guess if i'm going to describe it it sounds kind of like you're hitting a set of mini rumble strips when it does occur. Any particular speed? It's, it seems to be at the higher, anywhere from, oh, 60 miles an hour, anywhere up to 80. Okay. If you, this is an automatic or a stick? This is an automatic. All right. If you're rolling along 60, 65 miles an hour, and you're you're going through your upshifts, and it's probably, I'm going to have to say the vehicle's probably fully warmed up at this point. Have you ever noticed it Correct. happening when the vehicle's cold? Not so much, no. Not that I can recall. Okay. Does it, and for lack of a better term, um, how does it continue? Does, you know, once it starts to happen, once it goes into this vibration, does it just continue to occur? Um, it'll, yeah, like it'll, this vibration will happen or, and it'll go for a little while and then it'll quit and then it'll come back and it'll go again and it's just, kind of a beast with its own mind and it, it almost never it, it, it almost sounds like you're describing the converter going into lockup you know when the trans goes into lockup and it's got a bad torque converter in it you, okay. you know, can you can you drive through it so to speak when it happens if you accelerate and kick it down into the next passing gear does the vibration go away you know i've done that and sometimes it does go away yeah um the other thing i would ask you to try is the next time it happens you have to make a mental note. Hold your foot, you know, your gas foot steady so you're doing 65 and just let the rumble occur. Tap, okay. tap the brake pedal real hard. You know, Okay, pop, pop. even if it's on cruise? or Yeah, well, if it's on cruise, you're not going to be able to get it because you'll kick it off cruise. So you, you, you kind of want to do this when you're driving so that you can keep it accelerated, you know, maintain a constant speed. But tapping the brake pedal will, you know, cause the brake, if you do it hard enough to let the brake lights come on, that will kick the trans out of lockup or overdrive and drop it down into the next gear because they don't want to they don't you know they don't want you if you're an overdrive or lockup torque converter the strategy is they don't want you to come down out of that you know you you hit the brakes because an animal ran out in front of the road in front of the car right. on the road they don't want you to hit the gas again and be in the next lower gear because you'll have a lack of power so it's it's pretty much standard strategy in a GM product and a lot of other manufacturers. You hit the brake pedal, it drops out of lockup or overdrive, depending upon the trans setup, so that when you do hit the gas again, you're in the next lower gear, so you're at the proper torque point to propel the vehicle. So right. if, if you if you tap the brake pedal and the, this vibration goes away, 
that tells me that it's trans-related, and then we got to start to talk about that. All right. All right. Yeah, I guess uh, I'll uh, keep a mental note in there and tap on the brake next time it happens going right. down the road. Right, and, and get the sense, does it, does it physically drop out of gear? I have had some cases where the converters are so bad they're mechanically locked that they won't release. You ever, you ever play with a mini bike or anything with a centrifugal clutch? If no, not recently, I guess. No, you know, yeah, I well, haven't. you know, listen, I still remember my days as a kid with, yeah, but you get the idea, you know, a centrifugal clutch, the shoes throw to the outside of the drum and that's the physical lock for the mini bike and, or, or for the, some older snow blowers and things like that. I'm dating myself here, but it's the <laughs> truth. Um, you know, that's basically how a torque converter is working. It's just, it's a centrifugal clutch setup. It's locking the clutch plates or the clutch mechanism to the outer casing or steel casing of the converter drum, and that's the mechanical lock for better drive so you get better fuel economy and less trans slippage, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's, it sounds like it's, it's going into lockup, but there's chatter because the clutch is slipping and that's that kind of sound that you're getting. All right. I mean, and it's it's almost so sporadic that, like yesterday, I put 200 miles on and didn't do it once. But last weekend, I went on a trip, went and put 100 miles on one way, and it did it the last oh 15 miles of that 100 mile trip. Right. You just off and on. Right. And you know, you just catch it just right um, under the right duress and the right heat load. I'm surprised it hasn't set any check engine light or fault codes at this point. I would I would definitely recommend it's a 99. I would definitely recommend a complete scan looking at PCM for possible fault codes or pending faults just to see what might be occurring. But I All right. I think you're going to find this is more of a trans-related issue and it's going to be more mechanical than anything else in, in that sense of the All word. Right. So, all right, sir? All righty. I appreciate the help. You're very welcome, Justin. You give me a call back. You need anything, you uh, let me know and... Uh, have a good Thanksgiving out there in Big Sky Country. Thank you, Justin. I'm Ron Anany in the Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. Hey, Ronanian, the car doctor. We are back. Um, let's roll along. Let's go talk to Sean. Sean, I'm sorry, in Yorktown, New York. Sean, you're on with the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Yeah, hi, Ron. Uh, I'm calling because I wanted to know if you know about this. Uh, I had a really catastrophic failure with my uh, ABS, the HCU module. I've seen a, I, I have seen a few of them fail, Sean, yeah. Um, not a, not a lot of info on them on the outside, though. It's, uh, it seems like Ford doesn't really want to talk about it. So what, what kind of experience have you had? Well, an experience where you almost feel like you're going to crash your car. Right. Um, because it's just, it, you know, I, from what I've learned, the dump side doesn't close, and all your brake fluid is spread out throughout the, throughout the whole system, and you have maybe about 40% of braking power left or maybe less, where I, you know, I, I hit like a... Um, a sewer cap around the turn, the ABS event kicked in, pedal went down. I almost didn't stop in time and rear-ended the guy in front of me. And uh, that happened, well, it started, it happened once. You, you, you know, you shrug it off, you say, okay, I'm going to keep my eye on that. That was weird. 
Happened a second time, and I said, there's definitely something wrong. Happened a third time with my wife in the car, and that's when it really scared me. Um, I went to uh, my Ford dealership. Now, my car has only been serviced by the, my Ford dealership where I bought the car. So they had all my records on the car. And the first thing they did was replace the master cylinder. And I was suspicious about that because then that's usually a constant low pedal all the time. Right. Or you're feeling it given out here and there. I knew that it happened at, at an ABS event. So after that, I got the car back, and it happened again. And I was really furious because it, it at that point, I thought my life was in you know in grave danger sure. yeah. driving this car. Because I can understand other failures in cars that are inconvenient but not life-threatening. So um, Let me ask you this, Sean. How, how many miles are on this car? Well, when it happened, it was probably about 155,000. Okay. I'm up to 163 now. Right. Now, what happened was I finally went in. I did my research on the Internet. I found all of this information about this is what's going on. And even the, the YouTube videos said, hey, when you go in, they're going to change the master cylinder. Don't do that. I was too late to find that, and that already happened. So I pushed back a little bit on the dealership, and I said, listen, you replaced something that didn't fix the car. You diagnosed it wrong. And they made good on it, and they credited me back the whole master cylinder and the labor and everything, and that was good, and uh, I respect them for that. But it did overall still cost me $1,000 to fix this situation. Now, I emailed uh, Ford and to their uh, customer relations center, and they basically said, well, we don't have any recalls and we don't have any uh, any other reports on this, so until the uh, what is it, NH, uh, uh, TSA, right, and it's uh, come, yeah, it comes back and says that you know there's something of concern, and uh, you know at that point we you know at this point we can't do anything for you. Right. But I wanted my I wanted a recall and I want my money back. Right. Let me let me now, let me let me let me give it to you from this perspective, okay? Um, you know it's funny when I when I start reading what manufacturers recommend for maintenance on a vehicle. Right. And uh, you know, I don't, I don't know at the top of my head where Ford stands, and it seems like it varies week to week. And I like Ford as a product, I really do. Um, you know, they're one of my, they're one of my picks for a company to buy a car from. But they just, they, they have problems like everybody else. One of the things I notice is though, not a lot of car companies recommend brake fluid flushes or recommend them often enough. Yeah. That being said, I- well, that being said. You know, back in back in the days when the economy was good and people had money, yeah. I had no problem whatsoever doing brake fluid flushes in good conscience, recommending them to people every 18 months, every 15 to 20,000 miles, keeping brake fluid cleaner. And it seems like we saw less weird brake pedal issues on vehicles. Didn't seem to have the problems that I'm seeing more of today. Um, fast, fast forward to today. What does that mean? I, I, I think part of what I'm saying is, you know, at 155,000 miles, I would want to know that they ever flush brake fluid. And if they didn't, I think that's a necessary maintenance item. Not that that could have prevented the problem altogether. But, you know, the other perspective I want to try and put out to you is that at 155,000 miles, almost 10 years old, I, yeah. prob- I probably, if I couldn't produ- reproduce it, I would have positioned this as, hey, Eric, can't reproduce it. Um you know, I'm sorry, Sean, I can't reproduce it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, let's hang a master. How much was the master? 200 bucks, 300 bucks? 
Well, it ended up being close with the labor almost as much as the uh, the ABS, uh, that uh, HCU model. Then that's an expensive guess. Because one, one of the things I always think about is as cars get older, the fleet gets older and gets more mileage on them. We don't seem to change master cylinders on a – to me, a master cylinder, changing a master cylinder is like changing a timing belt. You should do it on time and mileage. You right. know, you shouldn't wait until the pedal goes to the floor and you almost plow through the stop sign and hit somebody. And yet we don't do that, you know. Yeah, um, yeah and I'm sorry it was $1,000 for the master and then 1000 for the ABS, and I'm glad you got your money back. Um, what Ford told you, in my opinion, sounds realistic. Until they get – they base recalls on numbers. Right. And they base them on how long it takes to get certain, you know, what's the projected. They sold, you know, a million and a half cars, and they've got a problem with 20,000 of them. It's not a big enough percentage. By the same token, yeah. the, the the recall notice I was reading before from, from Toyota, you know, 14 years later, they're starting to recall what's left of across three or four popular models. There's only 200,000 model, 200,000 cars left on the road. You got to ask yourself: Do they drag out the, the? Do they delay the time of recall that much longer so they don't have to pair the spare the you know go through the expense of of, of paying for something that they don't want to pay for? Yeah. Um, you, you have valid points, Sean. Absolutely valid points, and unfortunately, there isn't a better answer than that. Um, yeah, just so, just so you know, Ron, I I did have my brake fluid flushed uh, last time I did. Um, Brakes. My brake system, right? Because I keep up on that. I understand that the brake fluid gets contaminated, gets dirt in it, gets uh, you know um, moisture, water in yeah. there, yep. moisture. So I keep up on those type of things. And the thing was, as I try to explain to Ford was, listen, Cisco's going to be a mother and a child in the car someplace, and this th- this thing's going to let go, and this these people are going to end up in the middle of a intersection. Yep. And and that's going to be bad. And yep. that's when the you know they'll be. They'll do, they'll do an investigation, and they'll find out what's wrong with the car. Listen, I'll, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you this story real quick. I think I have a minute. Um, not even. Okay. Um, I got 30 seconds. You know what, Sean? Stay tuned. I got a story for you to tell you how the media thinks and how car companies think. It's a true story. I lived it. It's about the 97. It's about the Ford Explorers and the vibration oh, yeah. problem. Remember that from like 20 years ago? You, oh, want to, yeah. you want to hear how the car doctor first stirred the pot at the national level? Stay tuned. I got, a, right. I got a great story for you when I come back. 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy, the car doctor. We're back right after this. That's right, Ron and Andy, the car doctor, here to start talking, 855-560-9900. We're just finishing up with Sean in Yorktown. Sean, you're there. I am here. You know, so, you know, in answer to the question of, you know, you had said about your concern for ABS and somebody in that car was going to get killed, and yeah, I get that. In 1997, and I tell this story very rarely for fear of the lawsuit that it will create someday, but it's a true story. I lived it. In 1997, ABC's 2020 found their way to my doorstep at the shop. They wanted to know if I knew of any automotive defects in a vehicle that existed that the manufacturers weren't doing anything about. And I did. 1994 Ford Explorer. It it would go into 
a vibration, a chassis vibration, a low-level, and the vehicle would start to shake and almost become violent and out of control around 50, 55, 60 miles an hour out on the highway. And the repair was a technical bulletin, 0197-5-8, if memory serves me correct. I forget the exact number. I know it started with 197. It's been a long time since I thought about it. And they talked about replacing all the motor mounts, uh, the motor mounts, the engine mounts, the trans mount, and they wanted to put a, a vibration damper on the exhaust system and on the rear axle. And what the, what the bulletin talked about was there was a low-level harmonic distortion the, the chassis vibrated and went into, you know, the back end didn't like the frequency that the front end was vibrating at, and it would create this opposing force of energy and actually shake the truck. Went through the whole thing, shot it. We had, um, what's his name? Who's the famous reporter from 2020? Uh, uh, Stamos? Stossel. 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 John Stossel. Yeah, John Stossel. I got pictures of it. They're hanging in the shop. They're hanging in the uh, in the. Reception area of the office at the shop the day John Stossel showed up with 2020. And we went through the whole deal. It's in the can somewhere in, in the in the bowels of the vaults of ABC 2020 in New York. We're working with Mark Goldman as a producer. Um, I still talk, I haven't talked to Mark in probably 10 years. I don't know. He's probably retired by now. That's, that's a long time ago. It never aired. And I wow. said, why would this air? And they said, because the legal department came back from the marketing department, who said, if we air this piece, Ford's going to pull all its advertising. True story. It, wow. it never aired. And the comment was just what you said. It's not like anybody's gotten killed over it. All right? Yes. Yet. <laughs> you want to know the kicker? Yeah. Four months later, how many people remember the Ford Explorers rolling over from the Firestone tire fiasco? Yep. Okay. Somebody explained to me how come it was always the driver's side rear tire that was failing. They always talked about the left rear tire failing. And I and nobody ever brought up the fact that it was the left rear tire. You're trying to tell me that every defective Firestone tire was put on the left rear? Yeah. And the way I looked at it was, and it was always that subject vehicle, those Ford Explorers. And the way I looked at it was, it was the vibration because the cost of replacing those mounts, the kit was $600 in 1997 dollars. It's a lot of dough. The kit, the parts alone. So it was a $1,000 repair. Nobody wanted to do it. Ford never had to recall the vehicles over it, but nobody got killed until four months later, and then it almost destroyed two companies. I never forgot that. And right wow. around that time, right around that time, we switched from the small local radio station we were on. We got invited to go on a big New York radio station, and it, we kind of took off. And, you know, it just sort of got left in the dust. I couldn't make the case anymore. I argued with everybody. I actually talked to the CEO of Firestone about it two years later. I told them yeah. everything I knew. I talked to their legal department. Nothing ever came of it. They just let sleeping dogs lie. They 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 just wanted it to go away. But that's the God's honest truth. I never forgot that. People died over that, and they didn't care because they got away with it because in the end, it comes down to money, and that's the truth, and that's right. that's what really stinks. So you know what? It's admirable what you're trying to do. You're, 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 I won't say you're barking up a dead alley, but there's a lot of echo there, and you're just never going to get an answer. 
Not should until... I still uh, should I report it to the? Because uh, you can go up and complain on the absolutely, uh, uh, NH, absolutely, uh, absolutely, absolutely. But I, you know what? Never forget that. Um, and I've, I've still somewhere in the file cabinets of the shop. I kept all my notes, everything I had, because I know it's going to come back. Maybe it'll come back after I mention it because I've only mentioned this once or twice on air because I know somebody is going to get annoyed. But um, yeah, that's that's the real deal. So yeah, and the last thing I told them is to uh, listen. If you're, if all of a sudden you're selling a whole bunch of those modules. And, you know, all these dealerships are ordering them and ordering them and ordering them. Something's going on. Right. But I don't know if they'll ever look into, you know, nope. the, the parts division of the nah, they No, they got too many other problems they're looking into, like all the car companies. So you keep, plug, uh, you me, keep, you keep plugging away, though, Sean. I just wanted to say that I, 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 I love my Ford Fusion. It's never really let me down. And uh, 163,000 miles, and I, I really think it was a great product. And uh, the, the the guy I bought it from says, when are you going to trade this thing in? I said, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. So. So. Hey, Sean, have a good, safe Thanksgiving. Drive careful. You too, Ron. All right, good man. hearing you. I'll see you. Take good okay. care. 855-560-9900. Let's pull over take the pause. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the, the Car Doctor rolling along. Let's get over and talk to Eric in Homer, Louisiana. Eric, you're on with the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? 2008 Nissan Frontier V6. Okay. 106,000 miles. Right. I was wondering when to change the timing belt. Well, there's no belt. It's a chain. What engine is this? What chain? What a, this, is a, this is a V6. It's a V6. Four liter, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, this is a, this is yes, a chain sir. motor. Um, they do have issues with the chain. Um, they've got a couple of bulletins out there, 09-128A. They've got a 10-001 uh, revised procedure. Um, they've got issues with noise and wine and things from the timing chain area, and they've improved and upgraded some of the timing chain components. Um, are you having any of those symptoms? No, no, I'm having no problem with the engine at all. Okay. Uh, you know, I have seen them replaced at little as, as little as 70,000 miles, and I've seen them replaced as far as 160,000 miles. It really depends on, here we are, back to maintenance. depends on oil change frequency and, um, you know, how well you're taking care of the vehicle. So, But as, as far as a failure, it's usually a case of you're going to get more of the noise um, before that actually happens. Just keep in mind it's not for the faint of heart. It's not a simple repair procedure, and you got to make sure your mechanic's capable of it if the dealer's not doing it on the outside. Okay. All right. And uh, I, I've had a uh, under warranty, but I had a failure of the uh, rear end transmission and rack and pinion, and I want to keep from having that happen again. So, what 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 kind of oil do you recommend for the transmission and rear end? Automatic. Automatic or stick? Uh, well, what I'm saying is, I take it to I take I talk to a guy transmission place, and he. He only wants to use Nissan oil. Right, right. It's well. I'm asking. Is it? It's an automatic trans, though. Yes, sir. It's right. Yeah. Okay. Trans, yeah. Um, you know, here's here's the oil conversation. All right. Some of the manufacturers, when it comes to trans fluid, 
are very specific, very specific additives. And some of them, there's some leeway. Some of them, there's not. Nissan is one of those where I don't believe there's a lot of leeway. And, yeah, if if the option is Nissan Transfluid or something else, if Nissan Transfluid is available until some manufacturer proves to me that what they've got meets that exact spec and they're willing to put it in writing, then I would stay with the Nissan Transfluid. As far as the differential, it is going to either be 7590 or 75140, depending upon whether or not it has tow package or not. But it should be a synthetic gear lube, which is what Nissan calls for. Now, you know, you start talking to some of the drivetrain guys, and they'll tell you they don't like synthetic gear lube in the rear differentials. They think it's too light of viscosity, and it tends to burn up and, and you know, disappear too quickly and thin out. I can see that in some cases, in some applications. Uh, my feeling is if you're changing the gear oil on a more consistent, regular basis, then I would probably use conventional oil but the correct viscosity and not worry about it. And then at least I've got a, a, a more even, constant viscosity thickness of oil, and it's not as affected as much by high heat application, like if I'm trailering or um, you know plowing or, or hauling with it, that type of thing. Does that make sense? Yes, sir, it does. Okay. Anything else I can do for you? Uh, it should do it. No particular brand, just any uh, good good rear end oil. Yeah, well, you know what? Now, here in the case of rear end oil, I would go and find a Pennzoil because I know Pennzoil I know Pennzoil makes a gear oil to that spec, all right? And I know they, okay. make, a, they make a very good oil. So, you know, you could get down to your local O'Reilly Auto Parts and, and, and pick up some Pennzoil there. I know they carry it, um, and I don't have an issue with that. Transfluid? I don't know off the top of my head if Pennzoil Transfluid actually meets Nissan spec. I would just want to flip the bottle around and look and see. And if it does not, then I'm using Nissan. If it does, then I'm using Pennzoil. I appreciate it. Thank okay, you sir. very much. You take good care and uh, have a good holiday. Yes, sir. Um, let's uh, let's get over and talk to Stephen in Poland Spring, 2005 Cadillac. Yes, sir. Hey, Stephen. Welcome to hey, the car, doctor. Doing? Good, man. What's going on? Oh, uh, I just got a uh, question for you. Go ahead. Um, I have a car that I'm very happy with, okay. and um, it's got 170,000 miles on it, and I'd like to keep it for the rest of my life. Okay. And um, I'm in my late 60s, and but anyway, uh, when the time comes to change or make a change, I wonder if I should rebuild the engine I have because of the computer system that's in it, or if it's okay to go ahead and buy a brand-new engine or a rebuilt engine and maybe a rebuilt transmission at the same time and replace the whole replace the whole uh you know drive the whole drive train. Drive yeah. train. What what engine what engine is in this uh Stephen? A 3.6. Okay, this is a 3.6. Um first of all, have you tried just for giggles um have you talked to Cadillac and said, "Hey, I want to buy a new 3.6 liter. Is it available?" No, I haven't. Probably isn't. I haven't talked to anybody. Yeah, probably isn't. Um you know, because this is a 2005, it's 11 years old, you're out of the window of where they yeah. want to keep things, and, you know, that becomes an issue. So that being said, I would like to see I would like to see the engine you have be rebuilt. If this is yeah. a, if this is a, I love this car, and this is my hot rod, you know what? Yeah. There's nothing like taking it to the guy, find the guy in your area, and saying, here, take this apart, rebuild it, make it like it was All yours, right. put it back together. I got two or three guys that, that I really trust to do that. Okay. You know, um, so I really thank you for that. You know, there's, there's, there's nothing like a hand-built engine. 
It's not going to be the cheapest. Okay. It's not going to be the cheapest thing in the world. But you it's know, cheaper than a new car. Uh, let me tell you something. I'm always amazed. I'm, uh, you know, I, I often think about it like this. I'm, I'm amazed at the space program. You ever think about the space program? All right, going to the moon and the shuttle and all yeah, that okay. stuff. Right. We, 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 we put out on bid to build something the cheapest possible way, and then it's we, and then we strap a guy inside and expect him to get in the thing and be shot upwards into outer space, and the guy not have a meltdown over it. And, you know, right. we're putting the guy at risk. I wonder how he feels when he's sitting up in that, yeah. um, in he, that um, <clears throat> cockpit, knowing that he's sitting for the cheapest bid. Right. And he, you're, you're hope he's saying, gee, I hope the accountants did their job. I hope the engineers all did their job. I hope everybody that assembled yeah. this part, as cheap as they could, did it right. Now yeah, we that's now, right. now we get to an engine in a car. I want it, you know, I love it. People come in, you know what, this is the same conversation as, I'm looking for a car for my 17-year-old kid. What's the cheapest thing I can put him in? Really? There you go. You're right. So, you know what? Spend as much money as you can. Get it done right. Get it to last another 200,000 miles. And you know what? A good a good machine shop will correct all the mistakes the factory put in that and do it better than they did it when it was new. And, yes, I think if you're doing it after 150,000 miles, you do the transmission, too. Okay. All right, sir? All right. Thanks a lot. You're very welcome, Stephen. You have a good holiday. 855-560-9900, the Car Doctor's 24-7 number. Leave a message and we'll call you back. I'll return right after this. Let's go over and talk to Evelyn in Missouri, 2006 Chrysler Pacifica. Evelyn, what's the matter? How can I help? Oh, I hope you can help. Okay. Um, I have a 2006 Pacifica, and it's doing this, I call it a, a kind of a, like a mixed squeal whine. Okay. Kind of like that. Right. And I've had the, the power steering pump changed uh, three different times because every time it changed it still squealed or whined or however you want to call it and i don't know what else to do i really don't now now are they saying it's the power steering pump well that's what everyone had assumed at this point that it's the power steering pump okay um so i don't you know, I don't have a clue, so I have to go by kind what of what they, they say. say. Right. They listened. I, I guess they have something that can touch it and listen to it. Right. But, yeah, with that much whining in it, and when you hit the gas pedal, of course, it gets louder and right. faster and right. you release it. And does, so, it, does it does it change if, you, if you're sitting there at a stop sign or a traffic light, if you turn the steering wheel left or right, does it ring, ring, ring? You know, does it change with tone, with pitch? As, it, as you you put, know, it, I did that several times, and because, you know, everyone asked that, that same question. Um, and it, to me, it almost kind of sounds, it doesn't get any louder or change. It's just constant. So could, The only is, time it changes is when I use my gas pedal. Okay. So it increases in frequency when you yes. when you accelerate the engine to go faster. So, I mean, dumb question. Could it be a belt? Well, uh, you know, 
that's a good question too. I, you know, I, I really don't know. Um, the belt looks good. They all said the belt looks good. Okay. So let's, let's, let's plant this seed. All right. Number, okay. number one, just because they put a power steering pump on it, if they, you know, let's, let's assume it's a power steering pump. What brand is it? Because I've seen a lot of power steering pumps that are pure garbage. And I've had cases where I've put power steering pumps on for leaks where we had to use aftermarket pumps in certain manufacturers, and they actually made more noise than the pump I took off. So could this be the quality of and the brand of pump we're using, number one? Number two, if someone were to take a spray bottle with water and give the belt a little fush, 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 does that change the pitch of the belt? Number three, could this have a belt pulley out of line somewhere causing the noise to happen. Let them look at those three things. Call me back. I'm running in the car doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.